Okay, so today I would like us to talk about still God's purpose, but this is in relation to the church. So I entitled the message today as God's purpose, which is the church. You know, we've been talking about God's purpose this past several Sundays, and, and this is, I would say, conclusion of those two other messages that we share, I shared two weeks, or three weeks, starting a couple of weeks ago, three weeks ago. Oh, sorry, two weeks ago, and last week we talked about uh, partnership. But today we'd like to talk about God's purpose, the church. But we, before we head to the church, talking about the church, which I'm going to spend more time next Sunday, I'm going to go back to the personal purpose, which we started talking about uh, uh, two Sundays ago. We learned that, um, that God has an, has an eternal purpose. It's a single eternal purpose. And that purpose that God has is found in his own son, his one and only son, Jesus Christ. So the purpose of God is a person. You know, we, uh, this was to answer, you know, many Christians ask these questions, and I hear this from many believers. Lord, uh, uh, they ask God, Lord, what is my purpose? Or they ask, you know, maybe ask me, oh, what is my purpose? What is God's purpose for my life? What is God's purpose for me? But we find, found out from, from two Sundays ago, that there's really no personal purpose outside of God's purpose. There is this one purpose that, that is really God, God's purpose. Let's just imagine this whole, whole thing. I'll just write an arrow here, and, 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 I, and I'll put the word purpose, which is God's purpose. And I have, let's say this is me. There's really no purpose that's outside of God's purpose because all our purpose, each of us, is simply embedded or is part of this one purpose of God. So everyone else is just part of that big purpose of God, all of us, all believers. You know, it is God's eternal purpose. And, and we found this in, in Ephesians 1, 9 to 10. It says there, this, is, this was a mystery that, that, that Jesus made known to us or God made known to us according to his purpose, which is set forth in Christ. So this purpose is in Christ, and it, this is talking about Jesus himself, as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven, and things on earth. So you notice that this purpose of God talks about unity of all things. The unity of all things uh, in heaven and earth. Remember Jesus' prayer, thy will be done in heaven and on earth. You know, God wants, from the beginning, wants to unite heaven and earth once again because this was broken during the fall. And so God wants to unite this once again. And that is the end goal for God, to unite all things under Jesus Christ. That's God's single purpose. And, and, and what we found out also, we are not to search the purpose from within us. Because if you try to search the purpose from within yourself, what you'll find is nothing. It's empty. That's why if you are not a believer in Christ... I can tell you, your heart is empty. There's no hope there. There's no joy that can last forever. Maybe your joy is just money or temporary pleasure. Maybe, maybe through whatever, drinking or drugs or some earning a huge amount of money. Once, once the money is gone, the joy is gone as well. And so we, it's really empty. That's why we can only find our purpose in Christ himself. So another thing we found out last week, this was the message last week, it talked about partnership. Partnership. 
Uh, and, and God is not only calling us to be part of his uh, purpose, I'm sorry, not only calling us for salvation and to live holy lives, meaning as Christians, by the way, you were called by God. And you were called first for salvation, then second, you were called to live a holy life, to live according to his will, to obey his commands. But the third calling that God has for us is to partner with him, to be involved with what he's doing, to take, you know, to, to, to participate in what he's doing. And, and, and this kind of partnership, by the way, when you begin to be involved with what God is doing, he wants you to to partner with him like what we talked about last week. This is evidence of God's love. This is evidence of God's love if you do not know it. In fact, for God to, to allow us to partner with him, it is because of his great love and grace. It's like a, a loving father. Just think of a dad who, who, who loves his child so much that he wants his child to be involved with what he is doing. You know, I know you fathers, your kids, you want them to be involved with what you're doing. They're, they're not caught in the dark when it comes to what you do. You know, God wants to be involved. Like, I know for men, if you do woodworking, you like your child to be involved with woodworking. I don't know who among you enjoys woodworking. I do. I like woodworking, but never had a chance to do it. But I, I enjoy doing those things. And, and also for me, I do programming. I, I, I enjoy doing that with my nephews as well. I also... Uh, Josh, when he was younger, I taught him Java. Then Ethan right now is learning Scratch, uh, programming for kids. And he's, doing the, he's so proud that his, which book is he now? Book three, book, book two or book three? So, so, so he's involved in, in, in that. And I like to take part with them and them with me. So this is what a loving God would do. And, you know, this idea for for people to partner with God, this was a revolutionary concept. This was a unique concept when, when the apostles and Jesus, when Jesus presented this to, to the world. Because if you look at the history of religions, if you look at the history of all uh, the gods of different idols of different religions, the gods of the different religions back then, even today, they were capricious God, they were stern, they were unknowable. Uh, they isolated themselves from humanity. That's, that's the kind of God that, that the religions back then worshipped. The pagan people worship, uh, you know, worship. Those were the kinds of gods. That's why when, when, when Jesus presented a God, a father, and the disciples presented a God to the, to the Gentiles that, who wants to partner with you, that was something new and, and exciting. He said, this is different. This is different. In fact, when in, in, during Jesus' time, you know, when Jesus was uh, telling the, the Jews that God is his father, they, they disliked it. They, 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 they wanted to kill Jesus when, they told, when Jesus told them that God is his father. Because to the, even to the Jews, they, though they knew the real, the real God, the true and living God, but their mindset was like the mindset of the pagans. That's why you have people like Pharisees, right? Their mindset was, was, was in a way like the pagans. That's why God for them is not something relatable. And this is the God that Jesus presents to us. And so he wants us to participate in what he is doing. To make a contribution. That was, that's what we learned. And, and our responsibility is this. I want to show you this passage in Hebrews 12.2. 
This is our responsibility as we partner with God. You know, in Hebrews 12, too, we are told that we are to look to, or in, in, in the NIV, fix our eyes on Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. So, so this is what, what God wants for us as believers, to partner with him. One of the fundamental things that we need to do as Christians is to fix our eyes on Jesus, to look to him. I'm going to spend more time on that a little bit later. In fact, uh, we, we, we've seen this also, and this verse is one of the passages that I would say is very significant in relation to this discussion of purpose, that, that it's all God's purpose and there's no personal purpose outside of God's purpose. This passage is very strong on this, on this uh, supports this truth very well. Uh, John 15, 17. And let me read to you 17 and jump to 19 and 20. But Jesus answered them, My father is working until now, and I am working. God has been working since the beginning of time, since the beginning. And his purpose is already ongoing. God is already working out his purpose. It is ongoing since the beginning. And, and this is what God wants us to do, verse 19. Uh, and this is what Jesus said, actually. Truly, truly, I say to you, the son can do nothing on his own accord. So no personal purpose on his own. But only what he sees the father is doing, for whatever the father does, the son does likewise. Imagine Jesus himself does not, does not declare that he has his own purpose, separate from his father. Whatever the son does, or whatever the father does, the son does likewise. So even Jesus himself, in a way, in this passage, was aligning to his father's purpose. You know, do an E. He was aligning to his father's purpose. For the father loves the son and shows him all that he himself is doing and greater works than this. He will show him so that you may marvel. Meaning, meaning as, you, as you relate, as you align yourself with God's purpose more and more, you do more and more of what God wants you to do. It, it, it's increasing in time. As you mature, you get to do more of what God called you to do. God's purpose, his purpose. Now, I want to talk one more, another thing about spiritual maturity because this really cover, uh, uh, this affects everything that we're talking about. You know, as a, as a new believer, if you are a new believer in Christ, there's a, great ten, there's a great possibility that you are still selfish. You know, just like, just like children. You know, think of children when they're born into the world. Children are the most selfish people in the world, Right? That's true. What's yours is, what's yours, is yours. Or what's yours is mine. What's mine is mine. I mean, just go to any preschool and look at how they behave, right? That's why children, when they're children and we see them being selfish like that, it's very cute, right? Ooh, I like you. Very cute. But once they become adults and they behave like children, you don't want to hire them in your company, right? Unfortunately, there are people like that in companies. They still think like children, right? And so just like that, in a new believer's life, we have this mindset sometimes as a new Christian. Usually they say things like this. When they go to a church, they will say, well, what can I get from this church? What can I benefit from this church? Or when they come to a church, they will say, how can this church help me? I mean, there's, I would say, it's just a stage in their Christian life, but... I, we know that it's not, it's not ideal, and we know it's not entirely wrong to think like that. But that's the stage of new believers in their Christian walk. They would go to a church, 
and think of what the church can do for them, right? And if they don't like the church, if the church doesn't fulfill their expectation, they move on and find another church. It's really what happens. Now, this is the old sinful nature or the prideful nature that's within each of us. But as you mature as Christian, as you grow as a Christian, it changes. As a new Christian, maybe your prayers are always, most of the time, self-centered. You pray for money, house, clothing, job, you know, mostly physical stuff for yourself. And you pray for your fam family a lot. You pray for yourself a lot. Maybe 90% of your prayer or 100% of your prayers is just yourself. That's what a baby Christian does. A new Christian does. But as you mature as a Christian, that changes. That's not anymore your major focus, in fact. Even to a point where you don't even pray for yourself at all. And for your family at all. Because you become kingdom focused. You're more focused on the kingdom of God now. You're more focused on the purposes of Christ. The purposes of God instead of your own purpose. So what you'll find out on those people who go to those church. They would say, when they come to a church, they would say words like, how can I help? How can I participate in this church? How can I contribute to to, to the work of God, or how can, I, how can I serve? So there's a different set of questions now when a more mature Christian would come to a church. Instead of what I can get, what, what is it that I can give? You know. and, and so now prayers for a more matured Christian is going to be kingdom-focused, as I said, but they begin to pray for other believers. They begin to pray for the church as a whole. They begin to pray for pastors, missionaries. They, can, they begin to pray for their unsaved neighbors. Because it's very clear from scriptures. Matthew 6.33. It says there, But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. What does it say in the last statement? All these things will be added to you. That's very clear. If you begin to prioritize God's purposes, pray for God's purposes, you know, your personal needs, God is simply going to take care of it. God is going to just figure it out for you on your behalf. But he wants us to prioritize his kingdom. So that's, that's what you find in a mature, more mature Christian. So now, you've learned three things. You've learned about the purpose of God from two weeks ago. You learned about partnership with God, that God wants us to participate with what he is doing. wants us to contribute to what he is doing. And we learned also the process of spiritual maturity. So you might be asking, Al, okay, these are all well and good, but how do I apply this in my life? How do you make this a reality in my life? What's the application here? You know, these are good ideas, good concept. I, I really understand this. But how do we bring this to reality in our life? And, and you might be asking these two questions. So I'm going to... Can you show those two questions, Jimmy? Um, the first question is, what do I need to do to be able to perceive, to be able to see what God is doing? Remember when Jesus, what Jesus said? He said, I see what the Father is doing, then I do what he is doing. I take part in what he's doing. I participate with what he's doing. So the first thing that we need to learn to do is to be able to see, to perceive. And the second thing we need to do is, to participate in what he is doing, what God is doing. What, what does it mean in a practical sense to participate in what God is doing? So, so what is it in practical sense, in a day-to-day, moment-by-moment thing, what does it mean to, part, to perceive and what does it mean to participate? 
And I'm going to give uh, six words, three words under each, to help you understand this better and to help you memorize. So, so, so there are six words. I, I, this is just for me to be able to simplify the whole idea. Uh, perceive is something personal because salvation is definitely personal. It is you and God. And, 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 and perception of God's work requires three things. One is the grace of God. The second is walking. According, walking in the spirit, by the way, I'm going to spend time on it. And the last one is bearing fruit. So grace, walk, and fruit. Grace, walk, and fruit. And, and, and to participate, which is more than just personal, it actually involves the church. Because this is God's design. By the way, you cannot accomplish God's purpose if you're not connected to a church. Even if you're an isolated missionary somewhere in the jungles, you're still connected with the church with the body of Christ. Because there is someone who sent you, someone praying for you, someone, you know, helping you out in that ministry. No Christian is an island. You agree to that? No Christian is an island. You cannot be alone as a Christian in this world. You're always connected to a church. If you're not connected to the church, I, I can tell that you're not growing as a Christian if you're not connected to a church. So participation in terms of God's purpose, requires you to be part of a church. And three things are important there. One is the gift, which is talking about the gift of the Spirit. Second is ministry or service. And the third one is the impact of what you're doing. It's, the second part there is contained in one verse, as you see later. It's, it's taken from one verse in Corinthians. Okay, so let's go to the first one, the grace of God. The grace of God tells us that you can see and accomplish God's purpose only through the grace of God. It's only through the grace of God, through God's favor. You know, it is through his power, through his favor, through his strength, you can accomplish his will. In, in Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, we're told that, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. It is, it is not of yourself. It is not of your own doing. It is not you who, who just force yourself to accept the Lord Jesus Christ. It is God pushing you into that direction. Creating the situation for you to be saved. And it says there that no one would boast. It's not by works. And the Bible tells us, and I don't have to show you the verses because there's a lot. The Bible tells us that Christ, anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. That you are now born again. That you have the spirit of God. That you have the mind of Christ, in fact. Imagine that. As a believer, you have the mind of Jesus Christ. Maybe not to the same level as Jesus, but at least some parts of the mind of Jesus. And I hope as you mature, that mind continues to grow to be more like Christ. But it is amazing that we as believers, we are already thinking like Jesus Christ. That's an amazing truth there. And, and also, the Bible tells us that you will be able to understand God's will and God's word. The man without the Spirit of God does not understand the things of God. Therefore, if you have the Spirit of God, you understand the things of God. So, so that is a very amazing starting point already for you to be able to see the purpose of God. Because hey, you already have the mind of Jesus Christ. You understand the will of God. You understand the Word of God. You are a new creation. That's already a very good starting point, right? So let me ask you. Can you understand and see God's purpose? Are you able to see it? And, you, and I would say you could, yes, you can. Although maybe not 
to the clearest, but yes, you can. Because you have the mind of Christ. And, and, and the Bible tells us the opposite also for someone who does not have the Spirit of God. If you are not saved, if you're not a believer, the Bible tells us that there's no way for you to accomplish God's purpose. In fact, the Bible tells us that you are blind, lost, walking in darkness. Remember that? We, we, we closed the light last time just to, prove, to show you the, the situation of unbelievers. That they're walking in darkness. And you're going to walk in darkness for the rest of your earthly existence. That's why the simple statement, answer to this situation, if you want to take part in accomplishing God's purpose, partner with him. If you are a believer, I'm going to talk more of that, on that regarding, with regards to that. But if you are an unbeliever, this is the thing that you need to do. What does it say in scripture? That we are to confess Jesus slide Jim we are to confess Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior or to confess him as our personal Lord and Savior next thing next thing we are called to walk and that statement comes from the that word comes from Galatians 5:17 and we are called to walk in the spirit you know, when you walk in the Spirit, it keeps God's purpose in view. Now that you are a Christian, a believer in Christ, God wants you to be able to see His purpose constantly. Constantly. Every moment. Every day. That's always in view. You don't lose sight to it. That's why we are commanded in Galatians 5.17 that we, let me read this to you. So I say, walk by the Spirit so that you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what's contrary to the Spirit, but the Spirit... And the spirit, what is contrary to the flesh. Even in that passage in, in Galatians 5.17 and 16 and 17, it tells us that, I think I have 5.16 there. In 17 it says that the spirit desires what is contrary to the flesh. Meaning, your desires are now, are now desiring the things of God as well. You have new desires. Because of the Holy Spirit that is in you. Although the desires of the flesh are in conflict with the desires of the Spirit, but still, there, are, there is a new desire that wants to do the purpose of God, while there's still another desire that wants to do sin and, and anything that's against the will of God. This is a lifelong battle, by the way. But, but now you have that desire. And in Hebrews 12, 1 and 2, we, we read this passage earlier this is talking about keeping uh, the purpose of God in view and how do you do this therefore we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses let us throw off anything that hinders the sin that easily entangles let us run the race with let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us verse 2 tells us clearly that fixing our eyes on Jesus the pioneer pioneer and perfecter of our faith the pioneer and perfecter for the joy for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame. He sat down at the right hand of the Father, right hand of the throne of God. And I memorized a different translation, sorry. <laughs> so walking in the Spirit means fixing our eyes on Jesus daily. This concept is all over Scripture. If, you're not, if you don't know all the other verses, I can just give you a few. This is what it means to remain in Jesus Christ. This is what it means to hold on to Christ. This is what it means to yield your bodies as instrument of righteousness. 
And this is also what it means to obey the commands of Christ. This is what it means to offer your body as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing unto God. And it also tells us in Romans in verse 2 on that same chapter that we are not to conform with the pattern, to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So what does it mean to fix our eyes on Jesus? Uh, Colossians 3, 12 to 17, I'm, I'm not going to put it on screen because it's a bit long. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you a hint on what it means to fix our eyes on Jesus. Colossians 3, 2, 12, 3, 12 to 17. We are told that we are to be compassionate with one another, kind, humble to one another, meek and patient. Talking about within the church. We are to bear one another with love. Uh, uh, if one has a complaint against, an against another, forgive each other. That's how you fix your eyes on Jesus. If I want to fix my eyes on Jesus, then I need to forgive my brothers and sisters in Christ. If I want to fix my eyes on Jesus, I need to be kind with my brothers and sisters in Christ. If I want to fix my eyes on Jesus, I need to love my brothers and sisters in Christ. There's more. Above all, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule and reign in our hearts, to which indeed you have called into one body. And be thankful. So if I want to fix my eyes on Jesus, I need to love my brothers and sisters in Christ. I need to fellowship with them. I need to relate with them. They're my friends. If I want to fix my eyes on Jesus, I need to live in harmony with them. I need to be thankful and, and grateful to God. Verse 16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. If I want to fix my eyes on Jesus constantly, I need to fix my eyes on his word. Memorize his word. Read his word. Meditate on his word daily. Study his word. It says also there, uh, teaching, admonishing one another with all wisdom. If I want to fix my eyes on Jesus, I need to teach my brothers and sisters. I need to encourage my brothers and sisters. That's how you fix your eyes on Jesus. That's how you do it. You see, the church plays a significant role in how you live your Christian life. Setting your eyes on Jesus is relating in love with your brothers and sisters. It says also here, admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to the Lord. How do I fix my eyes on Jesus also? One way is singing psalms hymns and spiritual songs. Worship the Lord to music. That's why we have praise and worship because of this very verse. By the way, there's only two verses in the New Testament that talks about praise and worship. It's just interesting. Out of the, all the verses in the New Testament, there's only two that talks about praise and worship. And this is one of the two. And oh, there's one, the third one, but it's very obscure. Did you know that Jesus sang? In, in the upper room after they did the Lord's Supper and they, Jesus preached in the upper room. The last thing that Jesus did that night before he was, they went to the Garden of Gethsemane, they sang. They actually sang. I can't imagine Jesus singing. <laughs> but Jesus sang. He sang a hymn. There, you can, there's a small, small statement there. They sang a hymn. I, I forgot where it is exactly, but it's right there between John, around John 16, 17 maybe. It's there. <laughs> and in whatever you do, in word or in deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So when you give thanks to the Lord, honor him every moment, commune with him every moment, you are setting your eyes on Jesus constantly. So in summary, walking in the Spirit simply means 
spending time with Christ. Spending time with the master. Spending time with the master and spending time with his people. Fellowship with Christ, fellowship with his people. Fellowship with Christ, fellowship with his people. Remember the disciples' cross? Uh, I shared this before, but just to remind you, the disciples' cross is really a reminder of all your responsibilities as a Christian. Uh, pray, the word of God, you got the fellowship, and you got, what's the, what's the fourth one? Witness. So, so prayer is, and, and word of God is how you relate with God. Fellowship and witness is how you relate with others. Fellowship is your relationship with Christians. And, and witness is relationship with non-Christians. And, and, and when you do this every day, constantly, that we pray, we spend time in his word, fellowship and witness, it keeps Christ in focus. It keeps Christ in the center, in the center of, our, of, our, of, our, of our heart. A field, field of view. And if you miss any of this, Christ becomes off-centered. And, and that's really the picture of the disciples' cross. Uh, it really reminds us that what we need to do on a day-to-day -day basis to keep Christ at the center of our days, of our moments. Third thing. Okay, so, so, so we learned that, that to be able to see the purpose of God constantly, one, is through the grace of God, that you are a believer Second, that we need to walk in the Spirit. And what does it mean to walk in the Spirit? This. To keep Christ in the center, keep His Word, prayer, fellowship, and witness consistent every day. And the third one, it's called the fruit, fruit, which is the fruit of the Spirit. So what is the fruit of the Spirit? The fruit of the Spirit is the outcome of your walking with Christ. So when you walk with Jesus constantly, faithfully each day, what happens? What happens? It's just like Moses. Uh, um, I think Steve, was it? I remember one of you, I, we talk about this. Remember Moses when, 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 uh, when he met with God for, for, to get the Ten Commandments from, the Mount, from Mount Sinai when he returned? And there was a time when he came down from the mountain. His face shone brightly. It reflected the glory of God. This is what's going to happen to you as you walk with Christ constantly each moment, each day you will be reflecting the character and the glory of God. Meaning you yourself, you'll be transformed. Not just your mind. When you, sometimes when we pray and we read the Bible, usually it's just your mind that's being changed. But as you consistently, faithfully do this, it changes you. It changes your heart. It changes your person. And, 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 and just like Moses was in the presence of God, we ourselves will be influenced by God's glory and nature. His character is going to rub, rub on us. And when you come out of your, of your prayer room or maybe come out of church, your, your face will be shining brightly. You know, and, the, and people of the world, they're going to see you. They're going to, oh, David, your face is so, so bright. I can, it's, can barely see you. And, you know, that's the reason why the world hates Christians. Because when, when believers are out in the world, they remind non-believers of sin, of their own sin. Yeah. And that, the world does not like that. Because your mere presence in your life reminds them of their own sinfulness. Just like Moses, you know, when he came down, the Jews didn't want to see his face because it was so bright. That's why he had to cover his face with a veil. But we as Christians, we need to unveil ourselves, right? So that the world can see our lives and glorify God. And so we, 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 have the, we, we begin to have the character of Christ. And this is the character of Christ found in Galatians 
In Galatians uh, 6, 5, 22 and 23, it says there, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Do we have self-control? <laughs> it's hard, right? <laughs> Especially if there's lots of food on the table all the time. And uh, faithfulness, goodness, kindness, forbearance. I, I'm not, I, I don't know, I, if I rate myself in these things, I would say I'm far from nine or even eight or seven maybe. <laughs> Much lower than that. But I praise God that God is good and he's gracious. Even though we are weak, but he remains faithful. Um, and the fruit of the Spirit can be summed up in, in one word. Of course, it is one attribute, and it is the attribute of love. Attribute of love. So, this is what God requires of us to be able to see his purpose. Um, let me see, I'm going to erase this cross. And I'm going to go back to that drawing to be able to see his purpose. It's the grace of God, which leads to his, leads to, what's the next one? A walk with God, then of course the fruit will, will result into the fruit of the Spirit. That's what you see in your life. Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to end my message here, but just to give you a preview of next Sunday, which we're going to continue. This is how we see, be able to see God's purpose. Now, how do we participate in this? And participation, I know this is too small for some of you, but, that, but just trust me, it's there. Participation requires the gift, then the so next one, service and impact. I have different words for it, but let's just put serve and impact. Now, here's what's interesting. When it comes to the grace, it is the Father who works these things out. So I would just put F there. It is the Father who initiates that process of grace. When it comes to walk, it is Jesus who does the work. Because we are basically imitating the life of Christ, living the life of Christ. When it comes to the fruit, it is the Spirit who works on it. You see the Trinity at work here. Begins with the Father, then Jesus Christ and the Spirit. When it comes to participation, the gift comes from the Holy Spirit. The service comes from Jesus Christ. And the impact is God the Father. So, so you'll see that the grace there. It is the Father who initiates that process. The walk, it is Jesus. The fruit is the Spirit who brings that, makes it happen. When it comes to participation, it is the gift. Because what God does is that now that, that God has, has led you to a point where your character and your nature, maybe not a, in a perfect level, but at least to a certain degree, He gives you certain abilities and gifts. Because God is not just going to let you do something without you having the ability to do it. He enables you through what we call the gift of the Spirit. And it is the Spirit who gives that gift. Sadly, in many churches right now, they, they're after the gift without, without the character, 
and without walking with Jesus. You see that happening? This was the problem in Corinthians. Because they were forcing all their members to speak in tongues. And they're requiring that kind of gift and, and you know, certain other gifts. And so that's a problem with many churches. Some churches, at least I know, that they're forcing the gift without, without the grace, the walk, and the fruit. Of course, if they're believers, without the walk and the fruit. And therefore, they're not ready for the gift. They're not able to use the gift. You're not able to use the, the abilities that the Spirit's going to give. Then once you have that gift, which we're going to spend more time this next week, God will open up a ministry for you, opportunity to use that gift. That's why we have what we call ministry. And it's, an, it's a result, it's the outcome of your gift. And the result of that ministry, when you do ministry, the impact is the work of God. If your ministry doesn't yield results, if you see don't, people are not being changed, that's okay. You, you just need to keep on doing because the impact is the work of God. Let me just give you this verse. Um, Jimmy, can you go to the last verse, just the last verse? And that last three, three things, gift, service, and impact. Last verse on that, Colossians. Yeah. Okay, Colossians 12, 4. I think it's 4. I can't see the last one. It's covered up, but that's okay. Um, Colossians 12. Uh, starting in verse 4. Now, there are varieties of gifts by the same Spirit. Then the next passage tells us that there are varieties of service by the same Lord. Refers to Jesus, right? And the last one is there are varieties of activities. In different translation, it is impact, effect, effects. There are varieties of effects, but it is the same God who empowers them. And that's God the Father. It's just an interesting pattern. And you see the pattern for the God's purpose, all the persons of the Trinity are involved. Participation, all the persons of the Trinity is involved as well. And this leads back to the verse that Shasha just read earlier, Corinthians 13. Because the thing is, Corinthians 13 could not be understood apart from this topic. Because Corinthians 13 is right in the middle of the spiritual gifts. It's right in the middle of the spiritual gifts. Corinthians chapter 12 talks about spiritual gifts. Corinthians chapter 14 talks about spiritual gifts. Right in the middle, there's a, there's a passage or a series of verses, which is they call the, we call the love chapter. It's right in the middle of the spiritual gifts. And we'll talk more next week about this. But what you can say is that as you serve, we need to serve in love. And, 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 and it's not the kind of love you're thinking. Because what's interesting is the love that's used in the Bible called agape is not a common word in the Greek language. It's, it was not a common word. It was a common word in the New Testament. But in the culture in general, it was not. The most common word in the culture was phileo and eros. Eros is romantic. And phileo is brotherly love. But agape, it's, it means that this just tells us we don't know really what agape love means because our culture cannot tell us what agape love is. There's no example of agape love in our culture for us to really, to really see what agape love is. And so, and it could be only be understood in the context of the gifts and service within the church. So let me give you an example. In, 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 in Corinthians 13, we are told that, that love is not puffed off, it's not envious, it means that when we preach the gospel, it's not out of pride, not out of self-glory. 
When we serve others, it's not for selfish gain. When we serve others, we ought to be um, patient <laughs> with people. And, and, and there are many things in that chapter, but it refers back to service rather than just any kind of love. It's not just any kind of love. You know, you could be in love today. There's a word, there's, you know, if, you're, if you're, you've been in love with a girl or a boy in the past, or even right now, you know that being in love can be very, very selfish, right? <laughs> you know, some people say, I'm so in love. I really love you. I want to give my life for you. If you're not going to love me back, I'm going to hurt myself. <laughs> I mean, that's, is that unconditional love? Is that agape love? And this is really... Really, the, the, the love chapter is centered on serving one another. And when you begin to think of that in that context, it makes sense. That I don't preach here just because for selfish gain. I don't preach because, you know, uh, I feel that I'm more popular than anyone or anything like or more knowledgeable than anyone. You know, I was a Christian for four years. I was involved in different churches, but I never really knew God's purpose. I didn't know what, God's, what God wants for me, what his plan for me is, what do I need to do. Until someone spent time with me and discipled me. Until someone explained to me the word of God. Until someone took time through Bible study to one-on-one. -on -one, until I really understood what the Bible was saying. That was the only time I'm able to understand what God's purpose is. And it's not more about my own purpose, but it's more about my role, my role in God's purpose. What is my role in God's purpose? And I came to understand that better. And each of you, you have a role in God's purpose. And God is going to give you the spiritual gift needed for that role. And it might not be clear right now. But remain faithful in walking with God. Amen? Remain faithful in, in, in doing what he calls you to do. If, if you know you have an existing ministry, keep on doing the existing ministry. That might not be the exact role that God wants you to do. That might be the role that God is training you. For me, I've never been a pastor all my life. You know that all of you knows that I've been an engineer. Not until <laughs> I only became a pastor seven years ago when the church started. I've been an engineer all my life, but in my heart, I knew that God has called me to be a pastor, and that was way, way, when I was 18, 19 years old. I already knew that, <laughs> but imagine from 19 until I was 40, that was, that was my training period. <laughs> that was very long. <laughs> that was very long. I don't know how many years is that. You can count. <laughs> imagine, I told the Lord I want to serve you as a pastor. I was 19 or 18, maybe, or 19. And he didn't put me into seminary, but he allowed me to have different pastors as mentors and different churches as mentors. And each of those pastor and church helped me become the person I am right now as a believer. God used them. And only after the last pastor in Dripping Springs told me, hey, Al, you need to start a church. I said, are you joking, pastor? <laughs> and after that last pastor... Yeah, the church started. It was the right time. But the training was on a different situation. 
right? I was a worship leader. I was, I was teaching the youth and young adult as well, but never a pastor. And, maybe, and that was the training. And for you, God is training you right now. Whatever you're doing right now, that's God's process of training. He put you in that situation to be trained. Even, even just, even just uh, welcoming people at the back or, or you might think using the, you know, manning the camera. It's part of God's training. And so be patient. Be patient. Walk with him. Go through the process of training with humility.